Blog Talk Radio. All the spot analysis. Am I crazy? Uh, <laughs> uh, no. Are we on a podcast? Yeah. I, I think I'm going to come get some. If you want some, come. Gotta get that. Gotta get that. Gotta get some. My Appreciate favorite, though. Am I? You're my favorite. Well, thank you yeah. so much. I think not. Put me on the e-meter and ask me a question and then it would flow. Welcome to Come Get Some Extra Scientology Edition here on this Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. As uh, you just heard there, the voice of Kathy Shankleberg, it is official. I am now, I'm looking right at my ticket to Stageworks Theater in Tampa Bay for Friday, March 31st. That's this uh, next Friday. I'll be there live to see Kathy Shankleberg's one-woman show, Squeeze My Cans, I believe, It's got nothing but good reviews. I just can't wait to see it myself with my own eyes. It should be a good time. Uh, If you're in the Tampa area, obviously check that out. Uh, She'll be there that weekend, uh, Thursday through uh, the Monday, I think. Uh, She'll tell us more about that in the week to come. Uh, In the meantime, uh, uh, today i got an interesting show for you. I'm going to have independent Scientologist Dave LaCroix on. I, I don't. I'm not sure. Even after having the conversation with him that I had and talking to him, as well as I felt that way, we, we were amicable and we. Uh, I think we have a, a mutual respect for each other. I'm not sure. I totally understand what he's doing even now, but but this is something that will be put out there for you all to hear the discussion and make your own minds up about it. That's the whole point to have that freedom, of course. But before we get into that, I do have to address a whole lot of crap. The shit's about to get real. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. Uh, Where to start? Uh, I'm going to start with the Clearwater City Council meeting. Um, That video is available, I believe, on YouTube. It's it's making the rounds. There was this Clearwater City Council meeting. Of course, uh, David Miscavige had met quietly and privately with with, uh, several members of the council to give his presentation and sales pitch, which – or Myers pitch, which – Actually, uh, wasn't supposed to be what it was. Supposed to be just a presentation. Uh, a lot of members of the Clearwater community stood up, had some things to say about wanting more transparency, not wanting to see Clearwater become the Scientology everything everywhere uh, place to be. Uh, these council folks did sit there and uh, they became a little defensive, but they did explain in ways that still didn't really ring satisfactory for me even. Uh, and I don't even live in Clearwater, but the, the, what happened was um, the final thing was, hey, we're not going to sell this land to Clearwater is what they said. But each of them, as they took their turn, they explained why they had a little defensive tone to their voice and then stated how it's important to stay involved. They want the community to be involved. They're looking out for the best of the community that they were elected to represent. And at the same time, it almost felt like in the back there you're thinking – they're saying there's more stuff going to be happening, more stuff going to be happening. I almost felt like as I was watching this video that I was <laughs> hate, hate to make such a fictional, ridiculous fantasy uh, comparison, but it reminded me of like a city council in like an X-Men movie where it's like, oh, yeah, we're looking out for your best interests, wink, wink, and there's a little bit of an evil plan and the twinkle of the corner of the eye. So who knows what's coming up for Clearwater? There's no need to panic yet. Uh, but I worry, especially when um, someone like Bob Cundiff says uh, what he said about the First Amendment, which is a real thing. It's a legitimate thing. It's it's an important uh, thing. Uh, all of our, our rights are important uh, as far as the uh, Constitution goes. And you point out where the First Amendment came from, where the freedom of religion aspect of it came from, and why it's so important. And that's why he'll fight for that, right, for anyone, Scientology or otherwise. And I would just hope. And I would question – I even sent a tweet to him. I don't know if, if Mr. Cundiff even saw it, but I'd like to see people make that different uh, – differentiate between the use of the First Amendment 
an abuse of the First Amendment because every law, every rule can be abused. And what happens in a cult is that rule is abused. I like to see the word cult, the idea of a cult become uh, something that's able to be legally defined in a way that can you know, circumvent this whole First Amendment thing for, for, for the sake of human rights. Um, uh, honestly, you know, uh, moving on from there, um, Kirstie Alley, <laughs> off the heels of the announcement of uh, Scientology Aftermath Season 2 with Leah Remini, uh, Kirstie Alley started taking to Twitter and taking questions about Scientology, saying she was answering questions. She didn't answer a damn thing, honestly. Uh, she just uh, you know, talked around things, made shit up, 10 million Scientologists walking the earth. Uh, people caught her out on that, and whenever someone said anything even remotely decent to her that didn't agree with her, they were blocked. So I decided because she said, don't worry. You'll be hearing from me soon. Um, don't worry. You'll be hearing from me soon. But not on national television. They don't ever invite a real one. And I was like, okay. All right. Well, I'm already blocked by Kirstie because I said something like normal to her, and that's a bad thing. Uh, I sent a tweet out saying, anybody who's not blocked by Kirstie, I forward just to Kirstie and invite her on my show. She is invited. I'm not national television. I'm a little podcast. But the point is, media in general. Scientologists who are active aren't represented. So you're invited. You can't use it now. You're invited. You can't use that excuse. And what happened after that was anybody who forwarded my tweet simply giving Kirstie Alley an open forum to discuss things from her point of view, to discuss her religion, they got blocked too. And there was nothing disrespectful about it. It was just, hey, you want to speak? Speak here. I'll let you speak here. You're invited to speak here. Everybody come speak here. And um, I didn't expect her to accept. I know she's not going to. And uh, another example would be um, just recently came out of the woodwork to talk uh, talk bad and, and bad mouth Lair Remedy, uh, Stacy Francis. Stacy Francis, that's what I said. Yeah, who the hell is Stacy Francis? Can someone tell me? Uh, no, no, seriously, there are people listening to this podcast right now who three weeks ago knew who I was, but still don't know who Stacy Francis is. <laughs> but she's come out. Apparently, it's a big deal because she was friends with Leah Remini. She's come out and trashed Leah Remini. She was on Twitter. She was on a block fest. And I sent her a tweet. I was not blocked. I sent her a tweet, and I said, at Stacey Francis, whatever her Twitter name is, I said, hey, Kirstie Alley says real Scientologists aren't represented in the media. I want to respectfully invite you to my podcast, Come Get Some. It's pretty benign, right? Nothing offensive there. I'm giving her a chance to speak. Speak! And I got blocked. <laughs> <laughs> Just for giving her the option. So uh, I guess giving – if you don't give them a chance to talk, you're a bigot and you're, you're you're holding them down and suppressing them. If you do give them the chance to talk, you're a bigot and you're suppressing them somehow, some way, um, whatever. <laughs> really, seriously, whatever. I know – and Aaron uh, Smith-Levin just put out a video on his Growing Up uh, Scientology YouTube channel. Uh, you should check it out, talking about this. He gives the legitimate – non you know uh non over the top view of why they're not going to say yes to these things and, and I just do it the reason I sent the invite probably the same reason Mike Rinder sent the invite out for uh, a much bigger invite right to um to Scientology in the aftermath uh and there's still a chance for them to say yes because they haven't filmed everything yet and, and here we are and they're not going to accept and, and and the reason you send that invite out is because once that invite's sent, once you've been told, we'll let you talk on our show, then you can't use it anymore. Use that excuse. You can't use that complaint. You can't be that kind of victim. Speaking of being a victim, oh, God. All right. 
so I was never going to talk about this piece of shit again. Um, there is a character out on social media who uh, I couldn't help but talk about. Um, he went too far. Uh, we got a guy out here who's an independent Scientologist, not Dave, uh, a different guy, uh, a much less capable of dealing with human interaction person, um, has been going off against me and other people on social media, uh, making wild and crazy claims and accusations. Um, I had a conversation uh, with this this person a while back after uh, he had a falling out with a bunch of people who apparently supposedly he was supportive of, and we were all on the same page. And he pulled a fast one to start calling everybody violent, calling everybody uh, fake and OSA and everything else. And I tried to have a talk with him late one night. This conversation went on for three freaking hours. I tried to get out of it. I said, I'd like to talk for another three hours, man, but I got to go. And he kept it going. And he kept it going. And every tweet he tagged, I don't understand this. And so I'm so sorry to these guys. Mike Rinder and Marty Rathbun were tagged in every single freaking tweet. And I don't understand why. And I don't understand why. And um, during this conversation, at one point I said, look, you seem so frustrated. You seem to feel like you have some valid anger. Let's deal with this. Why don't you come on the air and we'll talk about it? Why not do it on air, right? And he says, no, I don't trust you. I'm like, okay, all right, that's fine. Look, it doesn't have to be on the air. We'll talk off the record. Just call me so we can settle this. I don't, I'm uncomfortable with what's happening. I'm foolish enough to think this guy's really having some issues, and maybe I can help him. And the way this translates today on Twitter in exchanges, he says, this podcast guy, podcast guy, uh, asked me to come on his show, and I said no. And he became enraged, and he kept bugging me, and he kept asking me and asking me, and he really wanted me on his show because I was so enraged, right? He really wanted me on his show, and, and he just kept raping me and raping me. and ra Yeah, that's exactly what he said. Stop raping me. And I'm saying, what the fuck is wrong with you, man? What kind of scumbag are you to go there? So he's like, yo, don't eat with Christy. He'll probably poison you. Don't have dinner with him. Whatever. I don't even care about him saying negative things about me. I don't care if he trashes the show and says it's horrible or I'm dishonest, like like Clarissa explains it all, always says. But I guarantee you, there's no – we'll come back to the rape thing because that's the important aspect of it. But but uh, I, I guarantee you there's nobody listening to this show or knows anything about this show or me that's saying, oh, gee, I believe that. Right between Tony Ortega and Aaron Smith-Levin, I just so desperately needed skeevy fucking McGee on my show. Really? I'm begging you to come on my show? No, I'll beg Mike Rinder, and I haven't even bothered him about it. I asked him. He said, no, I'm done with it. I asked Leah. I bugged her a little bit. She hasn't answered. Whatever. I'm not going to bug you, motherfucker. <laughs> so you're out there. You're harassing people. You're accusing people of threatening your life. You're making up all kinds of tall tales saying, prove it, prove it, and we prove it. And it's petty, and, and I'm pretty much done with it. I just want to say this because really to me you're, you're like the freaking pus on the ass boil of humanity, and, and you are just a distraction, and you're not worth dealing with. I've given you enough of your 15 minutes of fame, but I can honestly tell you with all this being said, the fact that you put rape in there, the fact that you use the term rape like an action word, like a verb or an adverb to describe how you were treated by me on the social media, to say you were treated that, treated that way by anybody on social media, you, I was raped, I was raped, I was raped, you so desperately need to be the victim. You so desperately need to be uh, somebody who's being vilified. Uh, I don't understand it, but why use such a vile, terrible, effective word like that, if not for anything else but to get this attention? 
There's people out there. You talk about the people who are potential victims of Danny Masterson. You're talking about Amy Scooby. You're talking about people that I know in my life personally. We don't discuss their rape because it's not the kind of thing you talk about anyway. And you're using it as a fucking adverb on social media, you, you low-life piece of shit. All that being said, I really don't wish ill will on you. I want you to know that I'm not a violent person like you would claim, like you would feel I was with the tone of my voice right now. I don't wish those hypothetical anonymous people in the car that you hypothetically gestured might run into a crowd of protesters years and years ago that somehow then came back again years later or weeks ago on Twitter uh, supposedly trying to run you over for real, according to you, which, which is a strange coincidence. And then the same fake imaginary anonymous people showed up at your doorstep to threaten you because you're always the, the consummate victim. And, oh, by, by the way, you can't say what you said about rape and then have a video for seven minutes the same day about how much rape is bad and say, I've already made my point. What the fuck is that? So anyway, my point is, I don't wish harm on you, man. I want you to live a long, healthy, God-willing, productive life, I hope, till you're old and you die of natural causes peacefully in your sleep. And I don't think it's hateful, violent, or anything else to say that the fact that I just can't wait for that day to come is just an unfortunate coincidence. Here's part one of Dave LaCroix. Uh, my guest on the show is Dave LaCroix. He is an independent studier of Scientology. Uh, you can read uh, a lot of information about what he's into on uh, Scientolopedia.org. Uh, please welcome to the show independent Scientologist David LaCroix. Hey, Dave. Hey, hey Chris. Thanks for having me on. No problem. We've been talking for a while about having you on, and, and I know that um, I don't know if you've listened to the show much, but I, I have kind of a sitting on the fence type of view of independent studies of Scientology um, for various reasons. We'll, we'll talk all about that in this episode. Uh, the first thing I want to do, if I could, is uh, let's get started with how you got into Scientology to begin with, because I, I think you came in when Hubbard was still up there, right? Yeah, he was still alive. I got in in 1971 uh, in Detroit, and uh, the re- I mean, I read the book Dynetics, and that was uh, what inspired me to, uh, you know, find an organization and uh, pursue it further. So uh, I then went from Detroit a year and a half or two years later and moved out to California, and so I spent uh, about 30-some years in uh Southern California, the main orgs out there. Okay, so you spent a lot of time under Miscavige as well, is that right? 30 years, you had to have been there some of that time. Yeah, unbeknownst to me. I mean, we didn't know uh, what had happened back then. You know, at the time, in 1982, uh, when you could say the coup happened, uh, you know, the Sea Org, as you probably... uh, figured out is very secretive and uh, of course this is pre-internet and all that so we didn't really know what was going on you know uh, we could see certain things happening in the organization uh, at the time in the late 70s they started raising the price of services uh, every month I think it was 5% every month which was kind of crazy mm-hmm. uh, so that put a lot of people off and then there was a major or the big exodus uh, in 82, which, you know, I knew a little bit about. I wasn't very active at that particular point in time myself. Uh, throughout my career, there's been times when I did very intensive uh, training and auditing and so forth and then would take a break, um, you know, do life, business, family, whatever. So uh, the Miscavige era didn't really kick in until... I mean, where it uh, became obvious after Ellerich died, and uh, of course that famous event where he announced it, and then uh, by the 90s uh, they started doing these events that got a little crazy. And in '96 there was a very uh, a major turning point, which uh, was called the uh, Golden Age of Tech, where they brought in a lot of changes on how. The subject was taught, and people learned how to audit, and uh, it was a big, huge red flag for me, and it was 
the beginning of my exit, my slow exit, you could say. Well, what was the big difference that really stood out to you? What was what was the real big standout? Like, wait a minute, what, what tipped you off mostly? Well, uh, L. Ron Hubbard had developed a way of training people on how to audit, which was uh, worked very good, and uh, I had done it, and many many other people had, and then they came along and said, "Oh, that's all wrong," and people have to retrain and do it all over again, starting up the do over again craziness that uh, oh, I see what you mean. rampant in the church these days. So, gotcha, gotcha. It was a, a tip-off that there was something fishy going on. And is that when you left the church? Well, it's when I started backing out, you could say, uh, I didn't officially leave for another dozen years, but, you know, the term under the radar, there's a lot of people, existing Scientologists today who are, uh, what would you say, is under the radar, just not active, but not, uh, you know, creating uh, any problems for the church. Right, so they don't get declared or anything, but they are so, but they're also not supporting Right. Okay. Exactly. All right. And how long after leaving did you end up deciding you wanted to keep practicing on your own? Um, I don't know that I ever stopped. I mean, I've always used the basics of Scientology. Um, I uh, put up a website, which is what got me declared. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was a protest or a whistleblower type website which is not up anymore, but it was the most popular one at the time for a while, um, called freeheber.com, um, taken after Heber Gents. I don't know if you know who he is, but uh, okay. he's, uh, he's still the nominal president of the Church of Scientology and hasn't been seen or heard of much. He made one public appearance uh, a few years ago, but uh, anyway, that was that site, uh, which then prompted them to declare me. Um, but a year after that, I uh, created the website Scientology, which, uh, you know, is just a lot more along my basic purpose line to, you know, get some truth out about the subject uh, rather than uh, protesting against the church. So. Okay, so it's almost more like a, a half-full approach to... Uh, the negative of Scientology, you're going, well, this is what's wrong with Scientology, but let me tell you what's right about it as well. Is that basically what you're getting at? Yeah, that's part of it. Um, you know, the uh, the biggest complaint, I guess you could say, or the biggest objection that I have is that uh, when you say Scientology, or most people say Scientology these days, they are referring to the church. And... Uh, in actual fact, the church doesn't have anything to do with Scientology anymore. It's not really, um, you know, it's not really Scientology. It's a, it's a corporation that owns a lot of real estate, and it owns uh, the trademarks. It thinks it owns copyrights, but it doesn't own all of the copyrights. Um, but it's not delivering real Scientology. It's not, um, you know, it's not, you might as well, going to Home Depot or something to get, uh, you know, to expect to come out with some Scientology as well as you would if you walked into a church organization today. Um, so the subject is a different thing. It's a separate thing, and that's what I think of when I say Scientology. That's what I, what's the, what I mean and what I'm referring to, but, you know, there's been so much about the church, this endless barrage of, you know, uh, exposés and shows and whatnot that uh, just as a counterbalance, you know, uh, I, I just felt that, you know, somebody ought to put up something that is uh, got, you know, represents the history, the people, the technology, uh, the founder, uh, you know, of the subject. Okay. So that's, that's what Scientology is about. Okay. I mean, do you have like a, a a congregation? Do you meet up with people, or do you sell services, or what, what do you what, what is your what is your role today in independent studies, or is it just for yourself? Myself, I do deliver. Uh, I'm an auditor, uh, and so I deliver uh, training and I mean processing, which is auditing, and some training. Uh, not a lot because 
I don't have a, you know, a building with a course room and tables and books and all that materials, but on a one-on-one basis, I can do some training here. Uh, but mainly it's auditing. I take people through the various steps and stages of uh, the Scientology bridge, as we call it. Okay. Now, it's become clear to me as I researched you a little bit and looked up what you do, and, and what a lot of folks in, in independent Scientology studies do is um, you feel that the biggest, the, the something that's different is L. Ron Hubbard's Scientology is not David Miscavige's Scientology. And I think even people who don't believe in independent Scientology studies would agree with that, that David Miscavige turned it up to about 1,010 uh, when he turned it, when he took charge of the of the org or the church. Um, is that sound yeah. about right? Yeah, he's a, he's a psychopath. Right, all right. It, put it mildly. <laughs> and nobody's uh, going to deny there's been some changes made in, in some of the writings and some updates made that are uh, that change things a little bit. Right. I mean, he, uh, you know, he, you can take, a, you know, Scientology you can look at it as a tool. You know, you can use uh, to uh, do certain things, you know, handle life or look at things differently or improve people's conditions. Uh, but you could take that tool and use it in reverse, you know. Uh, you can make people more miserable and uh, <laughs> unhappier if you want to. So uh, it's like a hammer. It can be used to drive in a nail or bash in somebody's head, you know. So Right, right. Uh, yeah. right so, so what is your opinion? And this is important, I think, because this is this is where – as an outsider looking in, so like I can never understand this from your point of view, or from the point of view of anyone currently in Scientology with the church, or even ex-Scientologists, just completely separated. From the outside looking in as an outsider, never being in, uh, I, I wonder about the study under LRH's thing, because now, now we understand, and I agree, Miscavige's Scientology is not all Ron Hubbard's Scientology, but... Uh, there is a large belief that Hubbard wasn't much better. He was just a lot quieter about it. So, so what is your opinion of Oran Hubbard? Well, you're getting that impression from certain batch of people who have an axe to grind and uh, who haven't, uh, you know, really studied the subject as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Ron Hubbard was a human being, and he had, you know, quirks and made mistakes and so forth, but he was not a psychopath. He was very much a uh, social personality, as we could say. Uh, he was a, uh, uh, you know, I can pick out things that I can say, you know, I don't like so much about him, things that he did, but uh, he was just probably the all-time genius when it comes to uh, understanding the human mind, the human spirit. Uh, the breakthroughs that he made are uh, uh, just you know, phenomenal uh, genius that he, uh, you know, he wrote about and uh, developed. So, but Scavenger's Scientology is kind of a funny comment because, you know, he's it's like, never been his. He has, right? no more, <laughs> he has no more claim to it or brand uh, ownership than uh, anybody else. You know, I mean, it's just kind of silly to think of his, his right. brand. It's... Uh, no, I agree. What, what I mean by that is that he's running it basically from the church side. Um, yeah. So you know, who who do you answer to in, in that in that case? Do Do you think Elron Hubbard borrowed some of those? Possibly those breakthroughs may not have all been his. That they may have been partially his, and some some aspects were taken from other people, and he made it his own. Yeah, if you go back to the original books, he gives tremendous credit to philosophers and thinkers, even Freud, uh, you know, as being the people that, you know, uh, the stepping stones, the shoulders that he was standing on. Uh, his genius was pulling uh, various bits of information from all these different, you know, past disciplines and studies and uh, religions and so forth and uh, boiling them down to some basics of life that anybody could understand or that would make sense to us you know, living in the, at the time, the 20th century or the 20th, 21st century now. So he had a genius to um, sort of pull together these, uh, all this disparate knowledge uh, floating around in different uh, areas and then put it together in one place, uh, you know, gave it a name, 
uh, under the banner of Scientology, and then take it a step further to develop techniques that, you know, anybody could apply to themselves and to other people to uh, help them, you know, gain more of what we could say is enlightenment, you know. Um, so, it, it, you know, his genius is unquestionable. I mean, uh, but you hear a lot of people pulling out bits and pieces of scraps of things he said or wrote and out of context, out of time, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, just uh, um, they, uh, they have a certain agenda going in and want to uh, make him look bad. So that's what's going so on. So let me ask you that. Things. Let me ask you that because that's a big thing. Everybody's got an agenda, and this is similar. I, believe me, Dave, I'm not grouping you in with what Scientology is saying in the church, but it's very similar in a way you're saying there's an extra grind. You're only saying it because there's an extra grind. What acts do these people have to grind with L. Ron Hubbard? Why would they need to? Why would they even need to have that agenda? Why not say, leave the Church of Scientology? If you want to study independent Scientology, it's probably good for you. Why not say that? Why attack L. Ron Hubbard? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, that's I agree. Why? <laughs> you see, these people uh, spend their lives on some of these websites, uh, you know, just uh, hammering away at. Uh, you know, L. Ron Hubbard this, L. Ron Hubbard that, and, you know, and uh, I go, God, give it a rest. You know, the guy's been dead for 31 years <laughs> now, you know. Can we explore that a little, can yeah. we explore it a little bit, though, here? And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to overstate anything that I'm not prepared to overstate, but I, I do want to uh, address a few things. I mean, uh, we talk about how I mentioned earlier, and I, and I think I might have said it the best when I said, uh, David Miscavige turned it up to 1,010, but a lot of these policies that you've been very vocally against, like, you're against Seorg, you're against Fair Game, you're against Disconnection, is that correct? Absolutely, yeah. All right, but these are all things that were put in writing, that were actually put in place. I don't know how, how much they were practiced in totality, but these are all Hubbard ideals. These are all Hubbard writings. What do you have to say right. for that? Well, let's take one at a time. The Sea Org, in my opinion, was a good idea at the time. And you look at the context and what he was trying to accomplish and pulling together, uh, try to get a, a group of people together. I mean, just this would be a challenge for anybody to throw together a group of people, buy a bunch of boats, and, uh, you know, get them dedicated to help build a new movement of some sort, you know. It was a tremendous uh, accomplishment and something that uh, needed to be done at the time. Unfortunately, when he hit land and they started moving into uh, taking control of all the uh, organizations, they got a little psycho, you know, and he lost control of it. He got away from them. So uh, the Sea Org is something that should be uh, disbanded, definitely. Um, as far as, uh, you know, let's take disconnection. You know, disconnection, uh, it's, you know, if there was no such thing as disconnection, there'd be no divorce you know, in the world. So there is a place for when someone, uh, you know, is so close to somebody toxic that the only remedy and the only way that that person could possibly get better is to disconnect from that toxic connection. But it's a very limited thing. And L. Ron Hubbard was probably guilty of uh, using it as a, uh, as a uh, way of controlling the, pop, the uh, church parishioners at the time. But I'll tell you, during those years... When he was in charge, you hardly ever, I didn't know anybody that had been uh, declared or disconnected from, you know? I mean, it was so rare. Yeah, I do uh, believe I've heard other ex-Scientologists say that. You know, there was a few handful of notorious people, but, you know, it's just a very rare occurrence that you'd ever come across it and, and where it was used. Um, and likewise, fair game. Now, he did, people dispute this, but I've got the evidence on the website he did cancel both Fair Game and Disconnection uh, in a tape in 1969. Okay. It's called RJ-68. Okay. But, um, you know, there's arguments that he then, he really, that was just for PR reasons, and he used it. And this is where, you know, he made mistakes. Um, but if he were around today, I have no doubt that, you know, the PR mess that we see would not be in existence and we would not be, uh, you know, dealing with the mass exoduses and the mass declares and the mass, uh, the, you know, the abuse of those kind of things. Sure. 
sure. So, yeah, he wrote, uh, and, and he did make mistakes. He should have recognized that the Sea Org was out of control and disbanded it. You know, he should have uh, done this or that. He shouldn't have thrown people off the back of his boat. You know, I don't know if you know about that. Yeah, oh yeah, I've, I've, I've heard stories. <laughs> Overboard, overboarding. Uh, you know, but even that in the context of the time, it was limited to the highest, the people that were at the highest level of training there for a short period of time. And you have to understand, here's a guy that, you know, had grown up on the high seas, you know, sailed across the Pacific to Asia uh, in the 30s, you know, um, 20s and 30s. You can imagine what it was like to be a, a boy on a ship where the captain was the absolute, you know, authority, you know, in those days. Yep. And so things like that were not um, so politically incorrect as they are now, you know. Uh, not saying that it was good or okay, but um, when you look at it, that it was a, a limited thing and uh, in the context of the times and and so forth, then it's a little different. Well, uh, L. Ron Hubbard was supposed to be the authority on these things. He was supposed to know better than everybody else. He's he's the main, he's the main, like you said, the main genius behind the whole thing. You would think he should be able to be the example to follow, and he should be beyond the times. He should know better than the times, because he's L. Ron freaking Hubbard, right? He knows these things. Uh, he's been in the VNL and all, right? I mean... But, but that bends in a little bit, you know, I, I, I've had the feeling at times, different times in my life where you know, if I went five miles over the speed limit, people would say, oh, look, it, that's what Scientologists do. <laughs> uh, you know, you make, you, you just, you don't like vegetables, so all of a sudden, oh, that's what Scientology does, you know I mean? It's like, um, you know, he had a personal, uh, he, he wasn't perfect, he never said he was, he never said he was uh, God or Buddha or anything like that. And, he did say, and he said, this is a fact, I was in the Van Allen belt. <laughs> he made that statement. What do you make of that statement? Well, he's in that, uh, you might be referring to a tape I'm familiar with where he was um, exterior. Right. Out of his body. Right. Okay, and you believe in exterior, um, that you can go exterior when you go to OT8? Uh, I don't think you have to wait until OT8. He was exteriorizing people back in the early 50s, uh, popping them out of their heads, and, uh, you know, there's a story that, um, it's on the website where uh, uh, a witness saw him do that and uh, they just all laughed about it. I thought it was pretty funny because the guy was kind of, uh, you know, in a stunned state. You know, uh, he didn't know what, it, what had happened to him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, it, it's not even a bizarre thing. You, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of Art Bell or George Norrie. And, sure thing. Uh, these things, uh, you know, people, this is well known, and people have been doing that, uh, astral travel and uh, out-of-body experiences has, you know, been recorded and documented and testimony on all that for uh, outside of Scientology for forever. So, well, I will come back. We'll come back to the claims of Elron Hubbard that I have that I have challenges with, uh, but but I want to go back because we were talking about fair game earlier. And you said he discontinued, you said 69 or 68, right? Yeah. Okay, so he discontinued it in writing, and people contend that it kept going. Uh, can you tell me your thoughts on what happened with, with uh, Paulette Cooper in the 70s? Well, um, that's where uh, it may have been where he did the uh, cancellation, and then in uh, <laughs> certain cases... He, uh, he violated his own, you know, utterance. So that's mm -hmm. where he made errors. Now, she, um, I don't know every detail because I haven't read Ortega's book, but uh, okay. I remember at the time uh, I knew about her and that book. And uh, so, yeah, she was fair game. And uh, that contradicts what, you know, his public statement that it was canceled. But there's also data and books been written where, uh, people took it upon themselves, got a little overzealous sometimes. So hmm. uh, I'm not, I don't know that we've got so many liars involved in all this history that it's hard to know the truth sometimes. Sure, sure. But, uh, you know, how much was sanctioned by him directly and how much was uh, overzealous, 
uh, people trying to please. Who knows? Okay, because I, w- I would argue that what happened to Paulette Cooper not only matches some of the behavior we've seen by, again, you, you know, like when I say it like this, but, but Miscavige's Scientology, it, it almost rivals the kind of things that he would do. It almost feels like Dave's just following the example. But, again, Hubbard was a little bit more quiet about it. Well, I know that's the um, that's what people are going to be howling about when they listen to this. Because, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, one was uh, you know on a very limited basis, targeted basis, and another was just this broad scale, go after everyone, anybody that says anything or questions authority. Um, you know. But that doesn't make that doesn't make it that he did less less aggressively. A good thing. It, it's still you. You you've already admitted. You said that that's not a great thing that Hubbard did there. He he made a mistake there. Right. And but you know he also engineered uh, spying on or investigating uh, in the uh, IRS uh, offices mm-hmm. and uh, government agencies. And you know you have to understand that there was vicious lies being spread through the news media which were coming out of intelligence agencies around the world, not just in the U.S., but, you know, uh, that was part of the reason why he created the Sea Org and went to sea. Um, so he was um, battling on a lot of fronts, and that's why I think a lot of us forgive him some sins, because at that time there were real uh, enemies of the church trying to snuff it out. You know, the church didn't have tax-exempt status at that time, but... They were not paying taxes. They were acting as if they did. So mm-hmm. they were, you know, battling uh, some very powerful forces. You know, there's you know, the uh, drug lobby, the psychi- psychiatric lobbies, the uh, um, intelligence agencies, which is a whole other uh, interesting topic. But uh, there was a lot going on in those periods, and... You know, if he was a little excessive, I think some of us tend to get cut him a little slack. Cut him a little slack, okay. Uh, but, you know, there is no uh, excuse for the excesses we've seen uh, under the Miscavige regime. Okay. All right, all right, well, okay. I I just I have a hard time getting past that, but we'll move on. Uh, we talked about him going exterior. <laughs> I want to say this because... Uh, uh, again, I, I've had Aaron Smith-Levin on the show recently, and uh, Aaron's a good guy. He he, he mentioned how uh, agents of, I guess it was the Guardians, right? The Guardians office went into the IRS offices and the legal offices and, and stole documents and, and did this physically and got caught, got arrested, are doing jail time currently as we speak. I think. No. They're done? No, Their jail time no. or dead? <laughs> yeah, they're very limited. I think they did that. The longest one was just a couple of years. Okay. Well, they did their jail time. I misspoke on that. I do apologize. Uh, but yeah. they did jail time, and uh, they got caught. Aaron Smith-Levin's statement was, Oron Hubbard was able to go exterior to the Van Allen belt. Why did he not go exterior to the IRS offices? Oh, and uh, gather uh, information that way? Sure. <laughs> but why is that funny? If it's so, if it's so not far fetched, he can go exterior to the Van Allen Belt. Why is it laughable he can go exterior to the IRS offices? Well, for one reason, when you're exterior, you don't. It's not like you can cheat at cards, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's not the same as viewing something with, uh, you know, the body's eyeballs, uh, hmm. you have perceptions of things, but you're not necessarily going to read off of cue cards when you're exterior. So. Um, that would be one answer to it. Um, but, you know, I understand how that can sound funny and uh, make, seem to make sense uh, as a way of putting it, putting the whole concept down, but it's not, it's not really a valid argument. Okay. <laughs> because, all right. In my opinion. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. That was a good way to end it there. Okay. Um, sure. Uh, all right, Dave. Um, along those lines, uh, there's the whole thing with the e-meter. Um, you use an e-meter in your auditing with you when you do auditing with people. Yeah. Uh huh. Absolutely. 
and you believe, you wholeheartedly believe, excuse my misspeech there, you wholeheartedly believe that when a needle floats, it means something. Well, from your yeah, past, from your past lives. When, when it reads on things, it gives you an indication there's some charge or some something going on, yeah. It's a, it's a very precise tool that, uh, in the hands of a trained auditor, is very helpful. Now, I audit people. I've got a couple of PCs right now that I'm not uh, uh, using a meter because we're over Skype, and uh, although there's a way of doing it over Skype, they don't have a meter yet that we can use over Skype. So, um, But you can audit without a meter. It's just as you get into more uh, advanced uh, procedures, it's just adds another layer of precision to the auditing. So, well, in your best in your best layman terms, can you explain to me how uh, an electric device, uh, as minor as electricity going through the body is to begin with, how this device can actually weigh the weight of a thought or of a past life thought? This doesn't seem this. You know, maybe I'm not scientific enough mentally to understand, but this doesn't seem even remotely viable to me. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to like insult you. I'm just saying. No, that's fine. Uh, it's a legitimate question, and it is a bit of a puzzle. But what you've got is like a, a battery, um, you know, like a flashlight battery uh, voltage of electricity that's passing through the body. Now, if something uh, changes the, um, you know, the resistance of the body, it's going to have a the body's going to have a consistent resistance if you're just sitting still and nothing's happening. But uh, if a thought comes in that actually has, believe it or not, some uh, some mass to it, then that's going to affect the uh, the needle on the e-meter. Mass. So a mass a mass, mass. thought. A thought with yeah. mass. Like, uh, well, if I said uh, think of a banana, you're probably going to think of a banana right now, and uh, you know, there's probably not any what we call charge or mass connected with that. Although there is a little bit, it might get a little tick on the meter. But if we went into somebody's past where they had a sort of severe injury or loss or whatever, it's going to have a lot of emotional content to it. That's going to actually have some mental mass to it. Um, so uh, the the e meter is very sensitive and can detect uh, the slightest little changes. Is it's it? not something that you can take out your hand, you know put on a scale and weigh. But the meter does react to it. Okay, since I'm not very smart scientifically, <laughs> admittedly, um, could could you point out a place that I can go, just like a site on the web, I can go to read that's not a site about Scientology, that I can read about thought mass and try to understand it a little bit better. Thought mass. Well, uh, I'd have to probably uh, go to Google, just like you. Uh, okay. All right. So you don't have one. Re- you, know, you 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 know what you know, right? So. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of. We have a full page at Scientology on uh, a meter film that uh, gives all the different reactions to the meter and gives all the books, uh, resources. So all the Scientology books on the subject. Um, but as far as. Uh, this is fairly well uh, documented. I know there's uh, the, the term clearing technology and stuff. Um, but, you know, I can follow up and shoot you an email or something. And uh, I would like that. Uh, I would like that. Okay. I want to ask you. I want to ask you because um, I, I pretty much know what you're going to – you're not going to answer any other way probably, but I have to ask because to me – and this is just me again. Of course, I've never been a Scientologist. I've never been on a meter – but but let me ask, because it feels to me that the meter could possibly be more of a placebo device than a actual workable technology. Well, the meter is a tool. It's not a technology of itself. In the hands of you or somebody that's not trained on how to use it, it's worthless. You know, it's just a, uh, it's a light boat anchor. Um, but, <laughs> it, you know, as a as a tool in the hand of somebody knows what they're looking for and how to read the different uh, reads on the meter, then uh, it's, it's, it's useful. But it doesn't uh, diagnose or, uh, you know, have any effect on the person uh, being audited at all. The person being audited has no, you know, awareness that that uh, little 
flashlight battery current is passing through their body, you know, uh, any more than if you just picked up a battery yourself and put, you know, your fingers on the two different terminals, you know, it's, uh, it's imperceptible. So mm. it doesn't do anything. It's when asked a question or direct attention is directed and the person is connected to the meter that there's, uh, an auditor can tell, uh, what's going on. It helps the auditor nail down specific areas and know when uh, a topic or a subject has been completely, uh, you know, handled, which is where you get the floating needle phenomenon. I mean, couldn't you just as easily um, hold someone's hand and when you ask them a question that particularly makes them uncomfortable, they're going to tense up and you'll say, ah, struck a nerve, we found something. Well, there's lots of indicators that the PC is a pretty clear person you ought to give you, their uh, skin tone can change, their eye color, their pupils dilate, uh, all kinds of things that you can notice and observe. And so you can audit, like I said before, you know, without a meter. It's just the meter gives you uh, extra leverage, more precision. So Okay. Well, well not, not the way with it. But. Okay, so that was part one. Interesting conversation. I, I've got a lot of thoughts on on Dave's beliefs and on the independent Scientology practices. If that's if it's based on uh, what we're hearing here with Dave. Dave's a real good guy, by the way. I have nothing bad to say about Dave personally. I'll say he's the one guy I've been able to go to and get real answers. Not that I agree with the answers or that I feel satisfied with all the answers. Uh, but you'll hear more next week, next Friday, on another extra Scientology come get some, where we talk about. Um, why why carry the baggage of the Scientology name? Why not create something new with using borrowing the best of uh, type of things? Uh, I still have a lot of questions about Ron Hubbard and himself as a, as a human being. Uh, a lot more coming up. And 10 questions. Dave, uh, Dave LaCroix will do 10 questions next week right here on Come Get Some. Of course, I'll be uh, – after the show, I'll be heading to Tampa for uh, Squeeze My Can't showing. And I should one of these days have uh, Kathy on to talk about the Tampa tour I uh, didn't get her on today, but it should be coming up. Until next week, make sure you come in Thursday for part two of Scott Brown. That's a very interesting part two there. Uh, that about sums it up. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. All the spot analysis. Am I crazy? Uh, <laughs> uh, no. Are we on a podcast? Yeah. I think I'm going to come get some. If you want some, come. Gotta get that. Gotta get that. Gotta get some. My favorite, though. Am I? You're my favorite. Oh, thank you so much. I I, 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 I,